As you find your seats, if you will turn with me in your Bible to the marvelously wonderful book of Ecclesiastes. If you open up your Bible in the middle and you're around the Psalms, uh, move back past the Proverbs, and then right there, bingo, you have Ecclesiastes. We'll be journeying there for the next several weeks uh, together, looking at this incredibly marvelous, wonderful, truthful, a bit weird book of the Bible. I know it's been 20 days, and so I haven't had a chance to ask many of you, but but how was that holiday of yours? I mean, how did you enjoy the holiday season? I know it was way back to February 2nd, but how was your Groundhog Day? Did you have a good Groundhog Day? Well, it's, it's funny, Groundhog Day happened to be a day that Jim Cofield, a RTS professor, Reformed Theological professor and counselor, and I were having breakfast together, which we often do. And we realized it was Groundhog Day, so we decided to ask everybody we could, hey, what are you doing for the celebration? They're like, what celebration? Well, today's celebration. What's your tradition? We're going to tell you ours. They're like, what's today? We're like, oh, come on, you're pulling our leg, right? Everybody knows, it's Groundhog's Day. And they look at us like, you guys are weird. And we're like, you have no idea. You know, you got a preacher and a counselor. I mean, we could tell you stories of actually how weird we really are. But apparently the real Groundhog Day was a flop. Did you hear this? In certain cities, it was really, really bad, uh, a flop. In a place called Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. If there was ever a place that probably has an odd name, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin? I haven't made much time in Wisconsin, but I can't imagine there's too many Sun Prairies. But there in Sun Prairie is the home of Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy is a groundhog that is going to tell uh, that community in the world about the forecast of winter on Groundhog's Day and the shadow he did or did not see. And so on that day, they had the mayor, Jonathan Fruend. Uh, I don't know how exactly to pronounce his name. And they had Jimmy, the groundhog, right next to his ear, relaying the ever-important forecast for winter. I don't know what they fed Jimmy that morning. Apparently it wasn't enough because Jimmy in mid forecast decides to take a wonderful bite out of the ear of the mayor. It was amazing. You can Google this. You can do go see this. Don't do it now. Something bad will happen. Don't do it now. But it's worth going back to. It's quite hilarious. I got to tell you, the mayor is pretty good. I mean, he gets bitten by the groundhog, and he continues to talk. I'm like, this guy's got some clout. Two weeks later, he's elected out. I mean, talk about a bad month. The groundhog bit me. I got elected out. Oh, golly. All right, well, Groundhog Day may not be your favorite holiday, as it is some of ours. But how many of you at least have seen the classic movie, the 1993 classic movie, Groundhog's Day. Raise your hand. Say, I know that one. Saw Bill Murray. Many of you have seen that classic. Uh, Groundhog Day. Bill Murray plays a meteorologist from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania named Phil Connors. And he was sent to Puxatoni, Pennsylvania, what he felt was not so much of a sending, but more of a sentence, to go and get a report back from Puxatoni Phil the groundhog there to tell them about what winter was going to be all about. Well, as Phil goes, as a a grumpy meteorologist that didn't want to go, 
mysteriously, he winds up living the same day, Groundhog's Day, over and over and over and over and over again. It was absolutely crazy. The day always began the same. When the alarm clock went on, Sonny and Cher sang as much as Sonny and Cher could sing, I got you, babe. And his day went all in the tank from there. It continually just repeated itself. Throughout the movie, you realize he never really gets anywhere, no matter what he does. There's nothing really new. I mean, life just has these same ruts, these same patterns. There's Nothing is remembered. What he did the day before, over and over again, just seems to be forgotten. Life seemed so meaningless. Living the same thing over and over and over again became a living hell. Even to the point where he would try suicide just to wake up the next day to start that crazy Groundhog Day over and over and over again. Have you ever thought your life felt like Groundhog's Day? I mean, do you watch that movie and as there's parts of it, you, you realize it's kind of my life sometimes. I get that feeling. I have that deja vu that kind of haunts you that says, haven't we done this? Haven't I been here? Gosh, this seems all so meaningless. Well, this wonderful book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, it feels like Groundhog's Day. It's a book in the Bible that God gives us for all of us who wrestle with the feeling of Groundhog's Day. For all of us who one time in our life or another have said, you know what, life really feels meaningless. Life feels like vanity. I mean, life feels like vapor. It feels like smoke. You know, in this blessed cold weather that we've had, have you gone out to see your breath? Have you been out and you and blown your breath to be able to see it? Well, this is the word that Ecclesiastes is going to use. It's like life is like that vapor. It just dissipates into nothing. It will say that this is that life is so much vanity, it's, it's kind of like striving after the wind. If you strive after the wind, can you ever catch it? And it basically says, all this is true of life under the sun, or all this is true of life here on earth. The book of Ecclesiastes, in God's grace, it, it gives us a language to describe the reality that we feel, for many of us, that life sometimes feels hauntingly familiar, like Groundhog's Day. But in the midst of the despair, and there's a lot, In the midst of the meaninglessness, there seems to be an abundance. In the midst of the vanity, in the midst of the emptiness, there's a hope that shines in the midst of this book. And when by God's grace we we see it, and we see with that light that really is shining, and it's going to, let me say, it's going to be the light of Christ. And we realize that although it says that nothing matters and that everything is vanity, and that everything is meaningless, we will realize that in Christ Jesus, everything matters. Everything has meaning. Even the simplest things. Even the simplest things like eating and and drinking. In Christ Jesus, every bit of your life matters. We're going to look at that. 
Some theologians, uh, commentator writers would say that this is the back door to faith. The back door, it begins with an incredibly honest, painstaking look at life and all that life has to offer apart from Jesus. And it looks at this and says, let me show you the despair of the reality of what life is like under the sun without knowing the son named Jesus. It's awful. And it's the back door because it shows us the truth and then it leads us to the reality. But in Christ, we have hope and we can have faith. Some have described Ecclesiastes this way, that Ecclesiastes is like the book of the Bible. It's the exception to the rules. If Proverbs are more of the rules of life, Ecclesiastes is the exception. Let's say it this way. Come on, put on your English hat with me. I before E, except after C. So I before E, except after C, you're very good. You've learned it. But the words that have an A sound, you know that that's not true, right? There's the A sound like neighbor or way. Then it's E before I. But then we have words in the English language that are just quite frankly weird. Weird. I before E, except after C, but the name, weird. How do you spell weird? It's weird. It's weird. It's the exception to the rule. Well, many will say that this book in the Bible is just plain weird. How in the world do you make sense of it? Seems to contradict itself. Seems to be the exception. Some will say it's the greatest book ever written. Martin Luther will say that this book of Ecclesiastes has never been mastered by anyone. And yet he would say it needs to be read by everyone. Because the book of Ecclesiastes will no longer allow us to have a fluffy, nice, warm-smelling, nice chocolate chip cookie Christianity that is just so cuddly and warm. It'll take all the thoughts that we think of easy believism and all the thoughts that thinks that God owes us something and it repeatedly shatters us in the reality of life and gives us hope in Christ Jesus. Some will say it's the greatest philosophy book ever written. And I would agree because God wrote it. Let's look to this incredible book, Ecclesiastes 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning and ask God to come and make sense of his word. Now let's, let's be mindful that although this is in the middle of the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to see what type of writing this is in a moment. But this is God's word. And God has it for you and me, no matter where you find yourself in life. I mean, this, this is for you today. Because God himself has written these words. Hear them. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, or maybe your translation says teacher or collector. The words of the preacher, the the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or, Or maybe your translation says meaningless, meaningless. All is absolutely meaningless. What does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to a place where it rises. And the Hebrew there for hastens is like it pants. Even the sun is kind of weary. Even the sun just wants to go set according to this. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind on its circuits. The wind returns 
All streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot speak it or utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear is filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which is said, see, this is new. (laughs) It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Nice little cheery passage of Scripture, isn't it? (laughs) Makes you just all warm and fuzzy. Now let's pray and see if God can bring meaning to the meaningless. Father, thanks for, in your infinite wisdom, giving us a book called Ecclesiastes. And I love what it reveals about you. It reveals a God who's not afraid of hard questions. It reveals a God who will ask them himself. It reveals a God who will not hide behind a nice, fuzzy, warm, comfortable Christianity or faith. A nice, easy believism that, hey, everything's great and good but will allow even your people to ask some of the hardest questions that have ever been asked. That it all seems meaningless. Life seems futile. What in the world is the point? So God, we need answers to this. Not because the book tells us that these are questions, because our lives scream them. The reality of the brokenness inside of us and around us call for answers to our darkest, deepest, most broken questions of our lives. The things that we just can't seem to fix. And the things that we just can't seem to know. So God, would you come and would you be the teacher? Would you be the preacher? Would you be the convener? Would you be the one who is pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? Would you give us ears to hear your truth so that we could hear? Would you give us minds to understand your word? It's glorious. It's beautiful. It's confusing. It's hard. So Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds to understand. Would you give us hearts to embrace your truth? Would you break our hearts of unbelief? And would you break our hearts of sin? Would you fill it with your presence and your reality? And God, would you show us again the beauty of your love so that we could walk out of here not thinking that everything is meaningless and useless and vanity, but we could walk out of here knowing that everything has meaning and use for your glory. Things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Use those things to make us more like your son, our savior. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. You'll find in your bulletin an outline if you wanna follow along with me this morning as we journey into this incredible book. And the first thing we're gonna see is this, is what this book is, is this is God's wisdom for life under the sun, here on earth, without the sun, without Jesus. Let's, let's go a little uh, introduction to the bus, this, this book that will help us give a better handle of how to understand this and how to read it and how to hear it. 
Ecclesiastes 1.1 starts off with this. The, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Well, well, who is this? Who wrote this book? I mean, any book you pick up, the first thing you probably want to do is to say, well, who's the author of this? Let me get his perspective and his slant of who wrote it. But you know, the book of Ecclesiastes doesn't tell us who wrote it. It isn't that clear. It gives us hints. It gives us a Greek word that says the preacher. It's translated preacher or teacher or collector. The word that is used here for, maybe your translation says teacher or preacher, is really one who is speaking or teaching, I think preaching in a sacred assembly like this. One who's gathered with, with believers. Let's see, they aren't, these aren't just cynics. Uh, this is one who is a preacher, the one who is called the son of David, king uh, of Israel. Well, it's interesting, if you look at the book of Proverbs, if you turn back just one chapter and you see how, or one book, and you see how that begins, it begins very similarly to the book of Ecclesiastes. But it says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, it tells us who, who wrote that, son of David, king of Israel. And what God is doing here is he wants us to have a, a feel of Solomon, King Solomon. Some commentator says it's kind of like the mantle of Solomon or Solomonic is a phrase that they would use. But when you hear these, he wants you to hear that voice. But let me tell you, who wrote this? This is God's word. I mean, God says that every, every word in this is God breathed. And so if it's Solomon or not Solomon, he wants us to kind of have that feeling of King Solomon. God wrote this. And because God wrote it, he wrote it for you. And he wrote it for me. So who wrote it? Well, well, what did the author write? Well, he tells us the meaning. He tells us what this is all about. If you want to get to the end of the book, it's actually Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and it will show you the conclusion. If you want to get back there and cheat and say, ah, I know the answer. Here's where it is. At the end of the book, he says this. At the end of the matter, after we wrestle through some really difficult questions, he says, after all is heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It means this, have faith. Have faith in the God who is and the Son that he's revealed. Have faith in him and, and, and keep the commandments that he has given us. This is what he's called us to do. It's the back door of faith. An honest look at life struggles. Interestingly, Proverbs, it's more of the rules. This is more the exception. Proverbs begins this way. In Proverbs 1.7, it's going to say that wisdom begins with the fear of God. That, that life is all about a relationship and knowing who he really is. It begins that way. It's the front door. And Ecclesiastes says, let me tell you, it's the end of the matter. The very end is that you should fear God and know and love him. It means this. Life should begin with a love for God and who he is. Life should continue that way. And life should end this that way. This is basically saying, hey, Life is not all vanity. It seems like it's vapor. It seems like it's meaningless. It seems like it's smoke under the sun. And it's very important for us to see it says under the sun. It's basically saying this. We're going to look, according to the book of Ecclesiastes, of what life looks like without God under the sun. We're going to find out what hope there is without him. And it's going to come up meaningless. Well, how did the author write it? We don't know exactly who wrote it. Uh, we want to know, well, how did he write? He, he wrote with wisdom literature. It's a genre of the Bible. It's a certain way of, of writing. It's like the Proverbs or Job or Song of Songs. 
So he wrote it in a certain context, a certain genre, and we need to understand it that way. He wrote it under the sun, as I said, from, from the perspective of life without God. What's happened since the fall east of Eden? What's life like in this sin-turned world? And he wrote it in a way that we all are led to discover life. It's so vain without God. This is not written like an epistle, a letter to Romans. Some of you love that. Some of you are like, man, give me a letter. Give me the good doctrine stuff. This is different. This is not history like Exodus. Our women's ministry is going through the book of Exodus. It will give us wonderful history. This is not like the book of Leviticus that gives us the law and the holiness of God. This is wisdom literature. It uses things that some of us are uncomfortable with. Poetry, parallelism, metaphor, simile. Reading through or preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes is like going to an art gallery compared to going to a lecture series. If I were to ask you, how would you better like to learn? Would you like to go to a lecture series and just get all the facts? Well, you probably love the book of Romans. You probably love some of the law. Uh, if you want to go and you find out God in another way, some of you say, give me an art gallery. Man, I can see the beauty and the meaning of life so much better. Well, this is like going to an art gallery and seeing the truth of God. Maybe it's going to use the other side of our brain we're not always used to using. Well, when did he write it? Well, we don't know. If it's Solomon, we know what time it is. But if it's not Solomon, some say it's post-Azilic, we don't know. But time is not important here because it's telling us timeless truths. And here's the whole introduction wrap-up. The book of Ecclesiastes is this. It's God's wisdom for life under the sun, without the sun. And here's what he tells us what is gained. The first thing is this. Nothing is gained with the toil of life. They ask the question, what does man gain by all the toil in which he toiled under the sun? My first job out of college, I worked in New York City. First job, get out of college, uh, I moved to New York City, just get married to Katie, uh, worked for the phone company in Midtown Manhattan, uh, a fantastic opportunity, I loved it, and I got paid once a month. I started working June 1st, I didn't get a paycheck till August 1st. Katie wasn't going to begin teaching until the fall, so we, we almost starved to death our first summer getting married, living in New York, not getting paid. But when I finally got a paycheck, I experienced something for the first time. I learned a new phrase. The new phrase I learned was, take home pay. Because when I looked at it, somebody thought it was a good idea that the city of New York gets a little bit of my pay. Somebody thought it'd be a good idea that the state of New York would get a little bit of my pay. Somebody thought that the federal government should get a little bit of my pay. And somebody told me that Social Security or told my check or those who administer it should get part of my pay. And then you want to say, well, man, this is what's left. This is what I gain. This is my take-home pay. When the writer of Ecclesiastes asked the question, what is gain from all the toil you're doing? What is gain from you waking up tomorrow morning? You know tomorrow morning is Monday morning. You know that, right? You know the bell goes off tomorrow morning. You'll be running, right? So what, what's gain? It's a very interesting. It's a business word. He uses a business world to describe profit, take-home pay. This is basically uh, owner's equity. What is owner's equity? All, any accountants here? Assets minus liability equals owner's equity, right? This is accounting 101. It's basically saying life without God and all that you do, if you, if you put in all the expenses of it all, 
comes up empty. It comes up hollow. There's no take-home pay. All the things you work for, all those things of the American dream, that bigger house, that, that place on the beach, that newer car, those nicer clothes, all the things that you're banging your head against the wall, that your nose to the grindstone, everything the life has to offer you, your take-home pay is Zippo, according to this. You know those lines of Disney, right? We've been in them. Those lines of Disney where you feel like you just like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm gaining ground. I'm, gaining, oh, I'm not gaining ground any ground. I'm, I'm gaining ground. I'm getting close. No, I'm not getting close. You think, am I getting anywhere? Have you felt like your life sometimes is like a Disney line? I mean, have you ever felt like, seriously, like seriously, am I getting anywhere? I remember being on a mission trip and, you know, a mission trip is a great chance for you to earn your salvation and, and earn your worth in God's eyes and, and to prove how great Americans are and how we're better and how we can go and serve those in need and show them how generous of people we are. And so we, and I hope you picked all that sarcasm up, and so we, 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 we came out uh, one morning and they said, now you see this rocks, and you see this dirt, and you see this huge pile of earth. It's really important for us to get this huge pile of earth over there. So you're going to spend some time underneath the sun. And let me tell you, the sun in Mexico, I don't know who magnified it, but man, is it hot. So, man, give me my, give me my shovel, and I'm going to show you what American can do, man. I'm going to be tearing it up. I mean, I'm going to be filling this rickety thing you call a whale barrel, and I'm going to be getting it over there because you told me it needs to get over there. And at the end of the day, man, I felt so good. I think I outworked everybody, I'm pretty sure. I mean, my back was killing me. My hands were callous. I had that, ah. Oh, we moved it all. They probably didn't think we could get it done in a day. We did it. You wake up the next day and they say, you know, hey, you know that, that pile of earth and rocks and the dirt over there? We want it back over here. And you're like, wait a minute. Joe Creech told me that if they tell me to do crazy things, I shouldn't complain. And they say that just because it's different doesn't mean it's wrong, you know? And so you're like, but, 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 but didn't we just, wasn't it just, wasn't it? Okay, take that dirt over here. And you just pile it back. For some reason, it was very important. It goes back to point A. A to B to A. How many of you feel like all you're doing is taking a pile of rocks and earth and dirt and just moving stuff around that's supposedly called life? Because life sometimes feels like your take-home pay is Zippo. Nada. <coughs> nothing. What's your take-home pay? from all you're doing and toiling underneath the sun. According to Scripture, it says it's nothing. Okay, there's some good news. Here's some other good news. There's nothing new. Do you know that there's a study out that will tell you how long the new car smell lasts? We all want that new car smell. I've never had it once in my life. I long for it. But it's supposedly the new car smell lasts three to four weeks. So those of you who are going to buy a new car, just enjoy those three to four weeks. Ah. <sighs> New car. But for those of you that are in your fifth week and you're lamenting that loss of new car smell, marketers have made something that you need. You now can spray your car with new car smell. Why? Because we all long for something new. This passage says that winds are blowing. The winds of change. Isn't wind supposed to blow and bring change? How many of you lived in the 60s? 
You okay? You still with us? Have you tripped already? Are you, you zoned out, you know? I mean, how many of y'all have lived in the change? Remember the 60s? They came up with some great songs like, something new's blowing in the wind. It's blowing in the wind. Woohoo! We're going to be so much better. There's something new blowing in the wind. We're going to be better people. We're going to be more loving. Love is the answer. And without Jesus, and it's just going to be great. And you know, the wind came and the wind blew. And we're all kind of still the same broken, messed up people that we were, we are. You know what he says about winds here? He says, these aren't winds of change. He says, winds go from the north to the south. They keep coming back and they go to the same place. He's basically saying there's nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. I long for things that are new. When my, my kids' friends come in or someone comes into our house I haven't seen for a while, I corner them. And I ask them a question, and it scares them. And I do this, and I'm not kidding you. I ask, ask. I'll say, you, you got to tell me three things new. i got to know three things about your life I don't know right now. Because <laughs> I long for something new, don't we all? Ecclesiastes says this, there's nothing new under the sun. What has been done, it will be done again. It's all this cycle of life. It's all stinking Groundhog Day. It says the eye can't even see, nor the ear can't even hear. I mean, life is so weary. What has been, it's going to be happening again. And what we're doing, it's going to recycle. There's some fun. No take-home pay. Nothing new. And then I'll say this. Nothing is remembered. Is there anything worse than introducing yourself again to the same person for the 10th time? You know, you know that person you just say over and over, dude, you know me. <laughs> I mean, I, we've met. I have a friend in this church who uh, has been, been in the church for a long time. This, this really drives him crazy. I mean, he's like, Jeff, this guy just introduced me or this girl. And, and I, I've been here for 10 years. I've met him over and over again. And it's not so much because, again, I've done that to you. I mean, hey, I, I'm Jeff. I can't remember your name. But you know how it feels, right? When, when you got to introduce yourself again, you're like, can't you remember me? I mean, can't, can't, am I leaving no impression on you that every time you want to say hello, I've never met you before? You see, we have this, all have this longing to be remembered. But Ecclesiastes tells us that none of us will be. None of our stuff will be remembered. In community group this week, uh, one, of, one of the guys uh, just happened to mention that he had a custom to send his employees a, a Christmas card, or I'm sorry, a birthday card. So every time he'd have it, whoever's birthday it is, and be placed on his desk, he says, no, I wasn't really thinking much about it, and I just kind of signed my name. And I wasn't sure if it would mean anything, and it was kind of trite. It was kind of like a business thing to do. And so I kind of just sent him the card. And then one day, a lady came around the corner and said, can, can I just talk to you? Can I thank you for over the years sending me a birthday card? Do you know it's the only one I get? I mean, that's sad. It's sad that somebody just writing their name is the only, because we all long to be remembered. We all long to be known. And life under the sun, without the sun, none of us will be remembered None of the stuff we do will be remembered. And then we want to cry out, well, then does 
anything matter? Listen, this is what we've learned so far. All that you toil for under the sun, here's your take-home pay, nothing. Everything you long for that is new, nada. And everything you want to do that's remembered, gone. Make sense, Jeff, please. Make sense, God. Please come tell us what in the world it means. Here's, here's, here's an incredible answer that we need to hear of God's word. The only way for Ecclesiastes to make sense, the only way for any book in the Bible is to make sense, is to see this marvelous, beautiful book through the life, through the death, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and His promise to return. And when God, by His grace, allows us to see the truth of Ecclesiastes, the truth of life without God under the sun, and we're able to put on the glasses of the gospel and see what the difference Jesus makes, everything now has meaning. Let's take a look. In a world that says that there is nothing is gained, there is gain for those of us for what we do in Christ Jesus. Everything we do matters. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is, is this incredible a passage of Scripture written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, by the Apostle Paul. And I love his honesty here because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about the resurrected Savior Jesus. And here's what he says to you and me. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, if death has conquered our Savior, then your faith is futile. It's in vain. It's empty. It's worthless. You've been bamboozled. If Jesus isn't living, all that we're doing truly is vanity, truly is empty. But if that tomb is empty, but... If Jesus is alive, but if he now lives to intercede for us at the right hand of God the Father, everything matters. Everything has the light of Christ. Listen to this as he tells us, O death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He gets to the conclusion of the matter in verse 58, and he says this, Therefore, because Christ lives, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor, your life, your toil is not in vain. In Christ Jesus, you are not waking up tomorrow morning to Sonny and Cher singing, I got you, babe, for Groundhog Day. And what you do tomorrow is a, is a, is a parent. What you do tomorrow is a, a single person. What you do tomorrow is a teacher, is a doctor. What you do tomorrow is a lawyer. What you do tomorrow is, is a laborer. What you do tomorrow in the name of Jesus, in the light of Jesus, as a child of Jesus, is not in vain. Thy kingdom has come. Thy kingdom is advancing from you. What you do in Christ Jesus matters. Changing diapers matters. Eating and drinking matters. It all matters here and now in Christ Jesus. It's not in vain. It's not futile. It's not meaningless. Only in Christ Jesus do we have that hope. That's why Paul would say in Philippians 3 that he would look at life and he says, whatever was for my gain is rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them all dung. Anything that was for my profit, this is why Jesus would say in the Gospels, what good is it, Matthew 16, he says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his very soul? 
The only way to avoid Groundhog Day, the only way to have meaning is to have Jesus. And then to have Jesus, everything has it. What about nothing new? Well, Jesus comes and we realize is that history isn't just spinning around. It's not just a cycle. It's Groundhog Day. The point and purpose of redemptive history. That Jesus gives us this great promise that he's come to make all things new. He's come to make all things new and it begins with you and me. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, is that through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through the reality of who he, what he has done for us, that you and I can now be new creations in Christ Jesus. That when we place our faith and trust in him, he's made us new. There's nothing new under the sun. I'm a newbie. I've been set free by the blood of the lamb. I met with a gentleman this week, which is typical for my schedule, who, whose life's decisions has completely derailed his life. And, and, and his sinfulness and bad decisions has brought such harm to him and his family and his future. And, and let me just say, by the way, those are some of the most beautiful moments of life because those are the times when our guards are down and we could hear truth. But I told this one who was so broken, I said, listen, let me tell you, God does not want you to be better. God's hope for you is not to be better. He doesn't want a better you. He wants a brand new you. He wants the gospel to take all of your sin and all of your shame and place it on Jesus so you don't have to bear any of it. And he, he wants to robe you in his righteousness He wants to to give you a new heart and a new nature. He wants to love you deeply and passionately. God doesn't want you better. He wants you new. And he wants you yours, his, you to be his and for him to be your God forever. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come so that we'd be a little better. He comes so we would be brand new. And then lastly, in a world without God that nothing is remembered, but in Christ Jesus, let me tell you what is not remembered and what is remembered. In Christ Jesus, our sins are no longer remembered. For those of us who are are his, he's taken our sins. You ready for this? He separated them as far as the east is from the west. He hides them behind his back and chooses to remember them no more. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God has not counted our trespasses against us. He's put them on Christ. In Christ, what's not remembered is our brokenness. What's not remembered is our depravity. What's not remembered is our sinfulness. But what is remembered? The sinner the beloved sinner in Christ Jesus. It's why the grace of God is such that when Jesus is on the cross, there could be a thief next to him that will ask this plea. He will say, remember me, Jesus. Because the greatest longing of all of us is to be remembered by the God who made us. Remember me. What did Jesus say? When I entered my paradise today, you will be with me. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, I will no longer remember your sins, but I will never forget you. 
I will never get my hands and and not have them lovingly embrace you. I will never let you go. That's the good news of the gospel. In a world under the sun without Jesus that is completely void of take-home pay. That is absolutely void of anything new. That is absolutely void of remembering anything about you. In Christ Jesus, we have hope. My brothers and sisters, today is not Groundhog's Day. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it today. But let me also tell you, tomorrow is coming. And I don't know what tomorrow has for you. Tomorrow may hit you like a two by four. You might discover things about you, your family. You might discover things about your job. You might be exposed to things you never, ever dreamed of being exposed to tomorrow. Or for some of you, you might just feel like tomorrow feels so much like stinking Groundhog's Day. It's not in Christ Jesus. We live in a world of now and not yet is what theologians say. Now, today, we have the forgiveness of God. Now, today, we have the love of God. Now, today, we have meaning in all we do, but it's not fully here yet. The kingdom hasn't fully come. Our tears haven't been fully taken away. We still struggle in a world that kills our brothers and sisters for belief. And in the midst of struggling through that, may the light of Christ shine brightly on each one of us. The only way for you to have meaning under the sun is to know the sun Jesus, let us pray. Father, I thank you for the authentic look that you gave us at a life without you. Absolutely no take-home pay. Absolutely nothing new. In a world that we will quickly be forgotten and no remembrance of what we, who we are or what we've done. But God, a life in Christ Jesus, has meaning and value for all things, for this life and the life to come. Jesus, thank you for becoming our sins so that we could become your righteousness. Father, thank you for your grip, your eternal grip on your sheep, your church, your children, that you'll never let us go. Jesus, thank you for loving thieves like us and remembering us and bringing us into your paradise. Thank you for separating our sins as far as the east is from the west. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that reminds us that tomorrow when the alarm goes off, it's not Groundhog's Day. This is the day the Lord has made. And I will be glad and rejoice in it. God, receive our tithes and offerings to advance your kingdom and to bring meaning of the gospel to all parts of the earth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.